You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael Mayer, the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that could be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. We begin this week with a highlight from Catholic Chicago, hosted by Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi. The Base Chicago is an organization that reimagines pathways to success for urban youth by combining sports with academic opportunities. Here now are highlights of that conversation. We're welcoming today The Base Chicago. Uh, the Base Chicago reimagines pathways to success for urban youth. They combine sports, academic opportunities with a distinctive methodology rooted in excellence, belief, and love. The organization provides a range of programming, including academic, STEM tutoring, violence prevention, and life skills, healthy lifestyle guidance, high-quality baseball and softball skills training. My wife would be thrilled. She's a softball fanatic. Mm -hmm. The Base Chicago's Clubhouse and Learning Center is a beacon of hope on Chicago's west side. The goal is to ensure that 100% of base student athletes graduate wonderful from high school and have the support and resources they need to develop their individual game plans for success whether that includes going to college or entering a job training program. They focus on developing good citizens who make good decisions, steering away from violence, gang activity, and other negative balances to their talents and goodness. And we welcome Eric Davis, Frank Brim, and Rich Schultz from Base Chicago. Welcome, gentlemen, to Catholic Chicago. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Are you all there? Yeah, sir, absolutely. Now, a little story, uh, Mark, and that is uh, Rich and his family were at St. Mary of the Woods. Rich, you arrived at St. Mary of the Woods in what year? Uh, it had to be 15 years ago when I sat in your office and I looked around the room thinking, wow, this guy has a lot of sports memorabilia. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's what made me think of you in the base. <laughs> I have to admit, you're right, my office was all filled with uh, sports memorabilia and photos. Now, Eric, now, because like, Rich knows I, I love sports. Now, what people <laughs> may not know is that Eric Davis was the captain of the 1982 Houston Collegiate Basketball Team with the NCAA Final Four, and there he was part of Phi Slamma Jamma, which would have been Eric Davis, Akeem Olajuwon, <laughs> and Clyde Drexler. And, um, and Eric, who was the fourth guy? Um, well, there were a number of guys on that team. We didn't know that they were all on that team when we were kids playing. <laughs> um, Cadillac Anderson was part of that group. Michael Young, uh, whose son played for Rutgers yesterday. Wow. Uh, Larry Mishaw, who was a first-round pick as well. Uh, Hakeem and, and uh, Clyde Drexler, Lyndon Rose. Um, all of those guys were, were first, second, or third-round picks. And uh, I was very fortunate to uh, have the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. And uh, something that you may not have known, Father, is that I was actually going to Loyola um, wow. before I decided to go to Houston. But uh, Coach Jerry Line uh, got fired. 
and then oh, I decided wow. to go to Houston between uh, USC and the University of Houston. Where'd you go to um, high which, school, Eric? I went to Armitson High School on the north side oh, of Chicago. Foster, Foster, Foster Avenue. Yeah. Do you remember, yeah. Do you remember yeah. Mr. Jim Gemsky? Absolutely. He was uh, the wrestling coach yeah. and the baseball coach and a, and a great counselor. And uh, many of the things that we use at the base, you know, I've stolen from people like Mr. Gemsky. Yeah, in fact, Jim Gemsky was very active with his wife, Joe at St. Mary of the Woods. Probably, I think he didn't live too far from uh, Rich and his family. A wonderful man. And uh, now you were part of that 82. Now you were the captain. You were in the final four. Did you lose the championship game to Georgetown that year? No, that was uh, actually 84. The year we lost, we lost actually in the semifinals um, to a, a team with a few unknowns. They had uh, James Worthy and Sam mm. Perkins wow. and uh, a young skinny kid named Michael Jordan. Yeah. Wow. No, that was in the and, you, that was in the, that was in the final four. The semi the um, yeah we lost in the semifinals and North Carolina went on then uh, to win the national championship against Georgetown. Now don't forget, Father, we're supposed to talk about oh, Chicago. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Forgot about that. But Just no, well, wait, bring no, it no, back. Wait, no, no. One little sidebar. Okay. And that is your Houston team is now in the final Sweet Sixteen, and there's a chance that Houston would face Loyola the next round, Eric. Yeah. Not not the next. The, it would probably be the for the championship of the, the Midwest the uh, region. The, the region. Yeah. So to get into the final four could be. And, and, and ironically, the Loyola Ramblers have the number one defense in the nation on the collegiate level, and Houston ranks number two. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. I'll tell you what, Father. I am, uh, of course, an, an an avid and rabid Houston fan. Mm. Oh yeah, that's your your graduate. But uh, my second team is, is definitely the uh, Loyola Ramblers. Being a Northsider, uh, being a kid that spent a lot of time on that campus, uh, growing up and developing basketball and social skills and hanging out at the beach, um, you know, that's my second team. So I, I wish Loyola was in another bracket and we could possibly <laughs> meet in the Final Four. In the Final Four. Well, now we, we, have to get, we have to get off this topic about the NCAA. So now either Rich, Frank, or Eric, Tell us about the history of Chicago Base or Base Chicago. Frank, Eric, please. you want to go ahead? No, Frank can Frank can tell us, please. Go ahead, okay. Frank. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, well, the base started started with a program in in uh, Boston. Actually, they came to Chicago and they wanted to see how many things uh, that we had and you know that we agreed upon in terms of our uh, where the baseball program should go. And uh, we had a program on the west side of Chicago that was doing well with, in terms of undergirding our children with good information. And we kind of partnered. And uh, so uh, six years ago, they decided to uh, to form the base Chicago with the, I mean, with the base. And uh, it's just been a, it's just been a, uh, you know, uh, something sent from, from God in terms of how it's impacted our communities, how it's impacted communities in, in, in uh, Boston as well as Pittsburgh and Indianapolis. Uh, so the base started just like any other program. I think we wanted to just provide our kids with good, healthy baseball. But shortly after that, we decided that we had to do so much more. So then we had to start uh, implementing the academic support, counseling where needed, and just helping the kids overall, you know, holistically. And so where we are today is, is you know, because of Robert Lewis in Boston, Eric Davis, uh, 
Rich Schultz, all the people that have come together and said that we have to do this for our community. So it's about restoring our community. That's what the base is all about. In a nutshell, restoration for our community is the most important thing. And in order to do that, we understood that we have to change the thinking because it's been systemic thinking. It's been historic thinking in our communities and and uh, that's what the base is about right now. That's wonderful. Now, I've spent, this is Mark Tracy, I've spent uh, almost 10 years at Mercy Home for Boys and Girls working with Father Jim Close, Father Scott Donahue. Mm-hmm. And the goal of Mercy Home sounds like your goal, which is to change or to save lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, would any of you want to speak to that? Maybe Rich, could you speak to, I mean, this program saves lives. How does it do that? So I think what, what attracted me to this program is the, the platform, the kids that are involved in their dedication, and then also these two leaders. Eric and Frank are, are some of the most passionate people I've ever met. They have they've dedicated their entire lives to service. Mm-hmm. One was a Chicago police officer for 27 years, Eric, and then Frank was a, a captain of the fire department when he retired after 30 years. So... Having started to know them three years ago, the Executive Club of Chicago introduced me to them because I'm a commercial real estate broker. And as I got to know them, I, they became very close friends. And I got to know the platform and how determined these kids are. It was just they, them seeking opportunities. So I said to myself, okay, well, the opportunities, I knew that the, one of the obstacles was um, access to quality education. And so I said, that's one thing that I could help with. I was born in the born and raised through the Catholic school system, from preschool through graduate school. Now, which graduate one was college. that? Was that in Chicago? I, w- I was born, I, was, I went to grade school in Moline, Illinois, at Seton Catholic, went on to St. Francis High School in Wheaton, then went to Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa, for undergrad, and then Loyola um, University in Chicago for graduate school. And so, being raised in the Catholic system, it was instilled in me to serve and help others. So I sat back. I love these guys. I love their mission. I said to myself, how can I best help them? I went to the Catholic uh, school system immediately and the network three years ago. Bennett Academy is where my children go. They embraced the base. They had Eric out, and he spoke in front of 150 people. Uh, then there was St. Petronella and Glen Ellen, Loris College. Jim Collins has been fantastic. Um, and so my goal is to simply get them in front of as many uh, people as possible, and that's where my network lies, is in the Catholic school system. So it's been successful. I'm just trying to do as much as I can to expose them to that system as much as I can, because what we've realized is there's another idea we had is the Catholic um, Catholic school's enrollment was traditionally down. I knew they had the infrastructure in place. I knew they had the passionate teachers, and then it was um, they, they see new di- no district boundaries. So they will accept anybody from outside the district. And so I said to myself, okay, the whole obstacle is money. So we can, I feel like we can solve for that. And that's what we've realized we could is we've, went, we've reached out to uh, different organizations, and it's creating awareness to all the base kids and their families of the scholarship opportunities, uh, Empower Illinois, uh, tuition assistance from the different schools, and then individual donors. A lot of, a lot of these kids and their families, simply wrote off those schools because of the money, and that's what I want them to realize. Like, There's opportunity to access these schools still, and that's what we've been trying to, trying to push because there, there are so many kids that, are, um, that want the education, that are committed, 
And so that's been our goal is to just simply create awareness and let them choose what they want to do. That's great. We're going to take a little break. What a great team. What a great, I mean, every Not one of you. This, uh, these three guys, uh, Eric and Frank and Rich, this is your five slamma jamma right here. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> and you know what? Father Greg would like a picture of all three of you autograph for his office because it will add to, <laughs> will add to that Hall of Fame. Frank, my time at Mercy, I'm still connected to Mercy Home, but you never, you never leave uh, a mission that you're passionate about. And you, off the air, Father Greg and I were saying, all three of you are so passionate no about, about this mission. What a gift to these kids. Frank, is there a story maybe that stands out to you in terms of one of, this, one of the lives of one of these young people that really has impacted you or that has kind of re-energized you to the mission here? Yeah, I got. I started got my my start at the Merillac House. I actually worked there as a group leader, and in the early '80s, back in 1980, and I saw that um, how lives can be changed because of decisions. Because uh, so many of the young people that had so much, so much potential, just didn't understand exactly about the ills of the community. And so, and then my my time on the fire department, I just got sick and tired of seeing young people with bullet holes in them. And, mm. Oh, and wow. it kind of changed the way I thought about, have I done enough? And so for me, there are so many, when you ask that question, so many young people whose faces flash before my eyes, um, who I know that just needed a little help, just needed a little a better influence in their lives, and sometimes um, a, a coach. So I thought about, in my personal life, all those coaches that, that played a role in my life helped me to make better decisions. And I just said, you know what, it's time for me to, even while raising my four children, and um, there's still more that I can do as an individual. So um, we, we we say that that bait that the that baseball is just a, our bait, but we know that love is the hook. So we start yeah. thinking about, um, you know, how we need to love our children more, mm-hmm. how because it's the relationship building. Now, it's, Frank, it's, are you are you Chicago born and raised, Frank? I'm Chicago born and raised, South Side moved to the West Side in 1980. And uh, and I had some great mentors, and I and I took that for granted. I wish I can, I, I pay homage to them every day because of how they impacted my life. They got when I stepped out of line, got in trouble. Those coaches and those men would pull me to side because my father was not there. And of mm-hmm. course, we deal with a lot of that in our community, mm-hmm. and uh, but that that player coach relationship it gives us an opportunity to kind of intercede on behalf of our children to. When we build those relationships, they start believing what we teach them. They teach, they believe what I say about baseball. Now they believe what I say about life. Premarital well, it's very sex. Very interesting, now, Frank. Because you, as I'm listening to you, you are literally from the coaches you had and mentors and, and mm-hmm. people that really encouraged you. You are now passing it forward. Yes, you're passing yeah. forward now. Maybe for you, Eric, share a story that has touched your life about a young person, Eric, that keeps you energized in this wonderful ministry. Well, um, there, there are a number of stories, as, as Frank has said. Um, you know, when we initially decided to take on this challenge, um, we were just an idea. Um, Theo Epstein, who is our honorary board chair, um, asked Frank and I to, to create this organization that they were running successfully at the base. But after he saw, once he got to Chicago, the things that were happening in neighborhoods like West Garfield Park and North Lawndale and Inglewood, 
he wanted to impact those neighborhoods with positive programming. Um, we arrived and, you know, we had no children. It was just an idea. Mm. And we saw the things that were happening in West Garfield Park. Uh, there were a number, if you remember, of uh, schools that were closed about four mm-hmm. or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the schools were, were underperforming that, that were still available in that community. And, you know, we're aware that, you know, education is the key to having a successful future. And the educational system in many of these neighborhoods had become chaotic for for a number of reasons. And we thought that, you know what, we're going to give these young people a great athletic experience because that's what will draw them to the building. Um, But once we got them in the building, you know, Frank was a former athlete as well. He was a a major league baseball player. What team? And um, I was an NFL football player along with playing Mm -hmm. at uh, the University of Houston. And, and, and we know what the real numbers are for every young man that dreams of making a living out of becoming a professional athlete. Those numbers and opportunities are very, very slim and, and, and almost, almost impossible. But we knew that there was room to make school teachers and police officers and firemen and attorneys and accountants. And we knew that that had to come through education. And when we spoke to Rich, and and Rich spoke about the Catholic school system, um, we know it's a solid system because we're both from Chicago, and we just set out to get our kids within these programs to enhance their lives and their families' lives. And as I tell my children, the the lives of your children that you don't even know their names yet. Mm -hmm. So we really incorporated a strong educational tutoring program, um, that's done really well with uh, some teachers that have volunteered. And uh, we had 10 kids this year go to selective enrollment high schools. That's wonderful. And, 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 and that's huge for us because these kids, none of our kids had even heard of selective enrollment high schools. So this past year we sent 10 kids to the selective enrollment high schools, the Whitney Youngs, the Westinghouses, and we're very proud of them. Uh, we have a young man who's now on the honor roll at Fenwick High School. Great. That's tremendous. Great. W- with, with three additional kids planning to attend this fall. That's just amazing. We have three children that will be heading to Providence St. Mel um, this fall. And we also have um, one right now that's ready to commit, but probably an additional two who will be attending Loris College. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. Now, how do well, how do young people get connected to Base Chicago? How, how does that work? Do they get connected through the schools, through the Catholic schools, through their neighborhood organizations? How does that work? There have been many days that Frank and I, it seems we've been out 24 hours a day um, recruiting kids, talking to kids, always handing out a business card, a flyer. They see us on social media. Um, and what's really nice, because we currently have 362 kids. That's tremendous. Wow. Yeah, wow. From, from zero. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think when, when you talk about Mercy Boys Home and, mm-hmm. and, and Girls Homes, it's, they, they do such a fantastic job that the bar was set high for us uh. when we went to the West Side. Mm-hmm. But that's a program that works. Yes. So for us, 
we were very happy to have a program to emulate. And, and there are some other good programs over there, but we never gave failure an opportunity to be an option. And that's what we're selling to our children. And our job is to not only keep them safe, but to make them productive citizens, which they're becoming, and to then circle back, come back to your community, and be the leaders and, and, and the shining lights of your community. And yeah. we're very happy to say that, that we're starting to see that. Now, before we close, I want to ask Rich an important question. That is, Rich, you met Frank and Eric a few years ago. How has Bay Chicago changed and touched your life? I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that last point, Father Greg. Yeah, the thing is, uh, you, you met a few years ago, you met Frank and Eric, mm-hmm. and it's been a, like a game changer for you. How has Bay Chicago affected and touched your life? So that, that's a great question, and I, I love that question because these two individuals and the kids, learning what's very important to me is uh, having my children, my family, and my friends, everybody learn things uh, outside the bubble of Glen Ellen where I, where I live. Um, I want them to understand exactly what's out there, what's happening, and meet people and get involved. I bring my kids to, I try to bring them to every event at the center, downtown. I want them to interact with the kids and get to know them and create bonds so then their friends can create bonds and just grow this thing organically. These two individuals, Frank and Eric, about your previous question before, are so passionate. When I first sat with them, I could have spent days listening to their stories and if you get to know them, I promise everybody listening to this will become a good friend of theirs. Yeah. I guarantee you, like I have. Um, it's just a, it, they're super inspiring, and uh, it's been a fantastic friendship, and I, I look forward to having it grow. And your question about how the, the, people can help is Eric and Frank are, are doing, they're doing as much as they can. There's more and more momentum getting behind us. It's huge in Boston. Now, if people want, now, let me ask you, Rich, if people want to get involved and learn mm-hmm. more about Bay Chicago, uh, how do they do it? What, what's your web? So the, the website is thebase.org. That's the parent company out of Boston, and then you'll see the subsidiary uh, Bay Chicago inside there. So it's but, the base. Dot org. So yes. Okay. And what about is there a phone number or is it go to the go to the web? Uh, Eric or Frank, you guys can chime in on that. Yeah. You can reach us by email at uh, edavis at thebase dot org or fbrim at thebase dot org. Okay, that'd be uh, e davis d a v i s and fbrim b r i m. Uh, so say say one more time, Eric. E davis at thebase.org or fbrim at thebase.org For more information about The Base Chicago visit thebase.org That's thebase.org Our next segment today is a highlight from Focus on the Liturgy This month co-hosts Timothy Johnston and Todd Williamson explored the liturgy of the holiest week of the year Here's a highlight We're just a couple of days away from Holy Week. Yeah, it is unbelievable how, at least for me, I don't know how about you, but how fast the Lenten season has yeah. has gone. But to enter into um, Holy Week, uh, here we are a year um, again, uh, you know, yeah. after the, our experience of COVID, we're 
all of us, I think uh, the whole country was really shut down during Holy Week last year. And here we are again, um, uh, back uh, in this space with limited attendance in many, many locations around yeah. the country, but certainly here in Chicago. And uh, so it's going to be a little bit different again. Yeah, it will be. But thank goodness that um, the, the, at least there'll be able to be people in our churches. Yes. For as you know, as as the the title says, this is the this is the holiest week of the year. There, there, yeah. there, there is no week that takes precedence over these days. Yeah, this and this particular week, which of course begins with Palm Sunday leads up to the pinnacle of our whole liturgical year, that vigil of Easter, which we'll, we'll get into uh, to, uh, today. But beginning of that week of, of really a very uh, solemn is the word that comes to my mind. I know sometimes we don't observe it that way, but Palm Sunday with this joyful beginning then leads us into this kind of solemn way of, of walking towards uh, the Easter celebrations, which we've been talking about for the last few shows, right. even um, on, on this show, right, right. It, 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 and I like I like what you said in in terms of um, the Triduum, and in particular uh, Easter and the Easter, Easter night, right, is the very heart of our liturgical year. Yeah. It's the, you said the pinnacle. It's the it, it, the, it it's the very center. Right? Yeah. In, in many ways of the liturgy. In fact, the whole liturgical year is fashioned around Easter. Exactly. Whenever that falls. Right. Like you, you don't, uh, Easter really, the date of Easter is determined uh, or determines how Lent falls um, and then certainly plays out how ordinary time will um, will unfold either before and after uh, the, the Lenten season. Right. And we all know how... Easter is is, let's is see, determined. Let's see if I'll say it right. Um, it's determined. It is uh, it is the Sunday after the first full moon of the vernal equinox. So the right. spring equinox, right? First full moon. Yep. The first full moon yep. after the equinox, and the Sunday that follows that is is Easter. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it it's the lunar can calendar that that determines Easter, uh, and that, as we said, everything else flows to and out of. The celebration of Easter. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it. As as Todd was saying, it because it's the heart of of the mystery that we celebrate Sunday after Sunday. It, it is. I mean, again, I mean, I'm sure all of you love the vigil. Um, if you haven't been in years, go. As we say yeah. more about that, but uh, it is. It truly, as it breaks open the history of salvation, um, and, and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, of course, mm-hmm. um, in 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 what we're doing. And so we take great care, not only during the Lenten season, as we've talked about, but in this week uh, that precedes that. So from that Palm Sunday, uh, you know, we we enter into a more prayerful um, attitude, mindset. It's sort of that immediate preparation. Like I know we use that language yeah, for the catechumens. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, immediate preparation. But but for, for the baptized, yeah, like we, we really, uh, our mindset, our attitudes really turn. Well, remember what we said uh, in the show for Lent. When, when, when Lent was a topic. We said that all of Lent leads to, for, for those of us who are baptized, all of Lent leads to one moment and one moment only, and that's... The renewal of yeah. uh, baptismal promises at the Easter Vigil, yep. or if you aren't at the Vigil on, on, on Easter, Easter Sunday, Sunday morning. That's that. And so this final week, the holiest of weeks, is that's the immediate preparation for that moment. Yeah. We, we've, we've come through Lent, 
Um, we've been observing it as, as best we can. Um, hopefully we've been living a bit differently during the days of Lent. And, and yet, it sounds a little redundant, and yet Holy Week calls us to live yet even more <laughs> differently, right? Yeah, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about, um, again, going back to a little bit about Palm Sunday, is that that triumphant entry into Jerusalem, I often, even as a, as a kid, I would often imagine myself being on the streets, uh, welcoming Jesus in, and, and maybe I don't do that as much as an adult, but really what we're, we're invited to is we're accompanying Jesus in his passion during this week. Yeah. As the story unfolds from the moment he enters in into Jerusalem through the Last Supper, the crucifixion, and of course to his resurrection. But that whole week and all the things that lead up to that Last Supper, we're his companion, we're his yeah. disciple, and and we, we're part of that story, even though we live these many centuries later, right? But yeah. we're still part of that story. I like, I like how you, you said, you, really, for our listeners, in, in a nutshell, you can think of it this way. The heart of Holy Week is the Paschal Mystery. Yeah. And, and yeah. the whole week, right? Um, and and I, think, I do think it's real important that we, we not look at Holy Week as if it's a re-dramatization of Christ's last week on earth, right? I mean, I, I think it's important that we not necessarily yeah. treat it like that. It's not It's not like a, a week-long passion play. Yeah, um, that's a great thing, I think, to remind everybody about, because it's easy, especially if you aren't in the, if you aren't able to be at the liturgical celebrations because of COVID, it could be easy to fall into observing and seeing it as something that's just representing a historical event. But remember, that's not what liturgy does. Right. It makes that present. And it makes that event present now. Yeah. In midst. Like we're part of that. So yeah. it, I, we can't emphasize that enough. And, and it makes me think about just recently, I was talking to uh, someone um, whose who's child <laughs> really, and this kind of connects to this because this young child really just thought Jesus was just this figure in the past and, and didn't really understand the profundity of the resurrection and that, oh, you know, and it's just that, that in the past. So we have a lot of work, even in these times of, of as we celebrate this, to remember what the liturgy does yeah. and how we participate in that to make fully present um, the Christ yeah. in, in our life. It isn't just this remembering of historical events. And with Holy Week, it begins with Palm Sunday. Uh, the full the full title is Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord, right? Um, and and uh, Timothy, the, the, the missile in talking about Holy Week kind of echoes what, we, well, or we echoed it when we, when we were just talking, because it begins the very first line in regard to Holy Week. It says, on this day, the church recalls the entrance of Christ the Lord into Jerusalem to accomplish his paschal mystery. Yeah. And 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 and, and so uh, Palm Sunday begins with with uh with if we if you're able with the great procession with palms, right? Yep. Yeah, it, what what a great uh, you know, and the missile does provide some options, but the parish normally you have palms, they've been blessed, there's a, a proclamation of that uh, gospel reading that 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 depicts that image um, of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and there's a great hosanna that is sung as, sung. as folks process into the church to begin um, to begin this solemn uh, celebration of Holy Week. Yeah, and and it just it does it does remind me um, the 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 palms 
the poems have a place in our DNA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have a place in our Catholic DNA, right? Um, people will um, decorate their homes with them or uh, put them in their cars or, uh, uh, you know, uh, fashion them into, into elaborately beautiful yeah. crosses. And, and, and certainly that, that, that practice, not only have we all, all seen that, but it culturally even you know the filipino community even the the latino community often have particular traditions around that how they decorate their crucifixes in their churches or like you said those elaborate beautiful uh different uh styles of of weaving them together when i was at immaculate conception um working in in music ministry here in chicago um uh down on california um it it was was just amazing after the liturgy on palm sunday um, after so i mean people just gathering outside but there be all these families who had taken, whether it be during the Lenten season or the last week, weaving these beautiful oh, crosses wow. together to to share with with members of the community, right. and just a beautiful uh, reminder of, of what we are are entering into. Yep, yep. And it's with with those palms, and it's it's just um, it, it it's a bit jarring to think that you know we begin Holy Week waving palms, proclaiming Hosanna to the Son of David. And just days later, right? Well, even even within the, that liturgy itself, how quickly the tone changes yes. by the time you get to the scripture, the liturgy of the word. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, the, the, the chant, the Hosanna to the Son of David, which many parishes don't use uh, these days, but they use some variation or something that's familiar to them. But I love the chant. Um, yes. But, but yeah, by the time we process in, um, and and we move into the liturgy of the word. There's that shift already because we're going to read the passion. Um, the, 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 right? the second half of the title for the day, right? <laughs> Palm Sunday of the Passion of the Lord. Yeah, the liturgy begins with with in 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 one sense, um, you know, exuberation and joy and 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 praise, and and then it switches to the solemn reading of the Passion. Um, this, this day and Good Friday, the longest gospels of the year, right? Yes. And, and, uh, the, the passion on Palm Sunday, um, is taken from, uh, the synoptic gospel. So Matthew, Mark, or Luke, depending depending on on the cycle we're in. So this year we're in cycle B, um, but Good Friday, that passion's always from the gospel of John. Um, always, always. And, uh, just, and again, it provides a, a, uh, a different perspective of the same story, the same narrative. It, it invites you into, of course, some of the characters are the same, or you're going to hear those same names, but right. um, it, it's just a beautiful way for us as a church to to take different looks at how the passion unfolded. Yeah, yeah, and the accounts of, of mm-hmm. the passion, right? Um, it, this, so this year on uh, Palm Sunday, the passion will be read from Mark, Mark's mm-hmm. account, Um uh, of of the synoptics, uh, rather simple, mm-hmm. as, as Mark's whole gospel is right? right. It's the shortest gospel that that we have, um, and 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 the the passion is um, it 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 really is a, it's a, it's a story of triumph in the end. Oh my gosh, yes, uh, it, it, it yeah we 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 definitely don't stay or wallow in the sadness of of the events that that occur. Um, it is a story of triumph. I yeah. mean, think about what the cross symbolizes mm-hmm. for us in the Christian community. It isn't, uh, I mean, it is obviously this instrument of torture and, and death, but it is a 
what happens upon that cross, what Christ does, is unbelievable in terms of the love that is poured out for all of humanity, yeah. all of creation. Yep, uh, and it, it's the start of Holy Week, the, the holiest week we have. It's the center of our liturgical lives. It's the center of our spiritual lives. It's the center of our prayer life uh, this week and, and these days. Um, and they're marked by these, these beautiful rites that we have only during these days. Yes. Like the proclamation of, of the Passion. Not, not, only, not only is, um, is this a unique reading, but there's, we, we even listen to it and, and, and have um, different posture through it, it, it because this is so uh, special these days. Yeah, one of the things that, that, that uh, might strike you or you may forget each year, but you know, when we come to the point in the Passion, um, as the Passion is really coming to an end after hearing the whole narrative unfold, yeah. um, the assembly kneels at the time of Christ's death, yeah. when that is indicated in the scripture. And we all kneel, um, not only as a symbol of of, uh, of prayer, but sort of a supplication, uh, or uh, that's not the right word, uh, but of, of giving oneself over um, as to the, well. To, to the story, to the passion, giving yourself yeah. over to Christ's passion. And, and, and again, yeah, because we, we participate in that. Yeah. I mean, our baptism, we have died with Christ. Yep. Just as, as, uh, as he dies upon the cross, we share in that death and we rise with him. And so that, that's one of those profound moments that shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, just... Rushed, hurry. Up, down, or yes. down, up, I should say, yeah. uh, in that way. But, but a time to really contemplate the profundity of Christ's death and what that does for us yeah. um, and our salvation. Yeah. And we hear that all throughout the liturgy, throughout the year even. Yep. Our salvation, you know, that, that kind of language is, is there. Uh, so that, that's one of those important postures uh, to remember. Yep, the, the, uh, the color is red for this day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which, which red is associated with, uh, the, first and foremost, the passion. Uh, and uh, it's associated with the martyrs and the apostles. Right, which is, is again, why, why it's used for martyrs is because they, especially in the early church, I mean, we still believe this today, but those were the only folks canonized, if you will. They didn't have official canonization, but it was understood that they shared so intimately in the passion of Jesus Christ um, that they, that's, that's why their blood was shed yeah. for him. Yeah. Um, and so that color of red, the blood uh, of Christ that was shed, the martyr's blood, um, whatnot. But the word martyr itself means witness, to witness right. to. Um, and so they're, they're bearing witness, um, just as we would in our own lives today, in, in whatever capacity, we bear witness to this passion of Christ. Yeah. Through which we are saved. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. And, and after the after the celebration, um, the proclamation of the passion, um, even in in its its unique elements, then mass continues as usual, and Palm Sunday celebration, the mass comes comes to a, a, a simple end, and we enter Holy Week. We have we have entered then into this yeah. week where we mark the the Paschal mystery of Christ. Um, Monday of Holy Week is is uh, simply that. Uh, actually, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they're just simply noted as yep. those days in Holy Week. Um, in many places, we were talking about this before the show started, in many places uh, in the country, um, the Chrism Mass, 
is celebrated on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday following uh, Palm mm-hmm. Sunday. Uh, and the Chrism Mass is is uh, uh, it's it's given on uh, where it's it's scheduled on uh, Holy Thursday morning, but for pastoral reasons, because that's such a busy day for the clergy of uh, mm-hmm. of, of any parish, uh, and, and the and the, the lay ministers as well, that um, it can be it can be celebrated earlier than that during mm-hmm. the week. And uh, for, for example, here in Chicago, we always celebrate it on Tuesday of Holy Week, and it is a beautiful mass. Where all of the and you think about it, you know, and it's and really its significance of being celebrated during this week. Um, but these are where all of the oils that are used in the sacramental life of the church are blessed and consecrated by the bishop of the yep. diocese, the chief shepherd of the diocese, and then they are distributed to the to the parishes. Um, and it, 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 even just you know, look, these oils will be used in some aspect. Of the Paschal mystery, yeah, anointing those who are sick and and are 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 sharing in the suffering of Christ, uh, anointing those who are catechumens, mm-hmm. who are preparing to die in the waters of the font, uh, and um, then the consecration of the chrism, which is used in so many different ways. Yeah, used at baptism, confirmation, and, and ordination. Or, uh, the uh, dedication of a church. And dedication of a church. And an altar, yeah. right? It's, uh, and and, and that this day, those oils for the whole rest of the year are, are blessed and, and given to the parishes. And, and the word chrism, and, and my Latin is terrible, but I mean, it, it means little Christ. Yeah. And so being anointed. An, being anointed at, at baptism, we are made into the image of Christ, the little Christ in yeah. that sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's so that beautiful image, um, it, it, if you ever see, or if you're ever at the chrism mass, the bishop breathing on the oil that will become the, the sacred chrism. That's part of the consecratory prayer, um, you know, breathing in, in a sense, the Holy Spirit yeah. life into um, this oil is the only oil that's, that's consecrated. It, it has similarly to the Eucharistic prayer, it has a similar structure, mm-hmm. a consecratory uh, uh, structure in in how that prayer. So, blessed are you. That's not the exact language, but but it, it will be familiar. Whereas the other two, much more simple because it's a blessing, not less profound in any way, um, but it, it's a different style right. of, of praying. Right. In in the consecration of the chrism, there is actually an epiclesis. Right. Yes. Which which is a which is a prayer asking the Father to send the Spirit to do something. Right? right, we're most familiar with it in the Eucharistic prayer, and so Father, send down your Spirit like the dewfall, so that these yes. this yeah. this bread and wine may be transformed into the body and blood of Christ. Right, send your Holy Spirit to do something. The prayer over the chrism is very similar, and so send your Spirit into this oil and 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 make it life giving for. Yeah. Oh, it's just yeah, it's it's great, and and of course. Within that prayer, I don't know if it's before or after. I haven't celebrated the Christmas Mass in a while. Where the the perfume, the balsam, the balsam is poured is, in, is added. Is it before the, the prayer? No, no. It's 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 it, during the prayer. During the prayer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, this this sense of, and I think I've shared this on the show before, um, and I love this image. Um, I think it's in the Liturgy of the Hours, uh, and it's a, certainly a scriptural image, but the odor of Christ. Yes. Um, I, when I was in religious life, I remember during the Easter season, one of our antiphons in our particular Liturgy of the Hours to our community was always about um, having the odor of Christ. And it was because we have been anointed, anointed with yep. this 
uh, chrism, this the sign of Christ. sweet smelling oil. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the odor of Christ, the, 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 the smell of new life. It's, it, that's, that's what this is. Yes. And they're blessed uh, during Holy Week um, in every diocese all over the world. And, and then, as we said, distributed to, to the parishes. And then um, th- that's Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of, of Holy Week. And then begins the shortest liturgical season that we have. <laughs> yeah. The, the sacred triduum. Yeah, so Lent officially ends um, at the beginning of Holy Thursday. And with the Mass of the Lord's Supper, um, we begin our observation of the three days, yeah. the, the highest holy days of, of our whole year. And as Todd said, the shortest liturgical season there is, those it's, three days. Yep, yep. Tri- the, the, the name for it itself betrays what it is, right? The triduum, meaning the three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in, in many ways, in many ways, they're not three separate days. In, in many right. ways, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a continuous memorial throughout these three days. Well, that's a great thing that that you make uh, make that point because I think oftentimes people are like, oh, Holy Thursday, Holy Saturday, um, and Easter Sunday. Like those, like we just, we sort of compartmentalize them in that way. But the way the church does time for the highest of our holy days, which we've talked about on the show before, is different. Is different. these, These days are so special, we even mark their passing differently. Exactly. Exactly. So the beginning of the day begins with sundown on Thursday. The most ancient way, Ex- right, of marking so, the passing of a day. So that, like, so that kind of shifts. So the triduum actually ends with evening prayer on Easter Sunday, as the third day. As the third day, sunset on Thursday to sunset on Friday is the first day. Yep. Sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday is the second day. Sunset on Saturday to sunset on, on Sunday, Sunday is the third. That, like you said, they, why do you call it three days? It's Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Sunday, because yep. we mark the passing of the days differently. It's always good to emphasize or remind folks that these three days, it's really one one liturgy. One um, celebration. If we begin on Holy Thursday and it ends on Easter Sunday, um, or well, I guess it, it really through the vigil yeah. um, and then into Easter Sunday, of course. But, um, but yeah, the Holy Thursday... Good Friday and the Easter Vigil, one, one liturgy, and, and I mean there are there are signs of that. For example, Holy Thursday is the only day that has an entrance antiphon. Yes, um, and that that ushers us into the whole celebration of the Triduum, and it's based on a, a, a citation of Galatians. Galatians, yeah, it's. I, I love it. It's absolutely beautiful. The, the opening, uh, the entrance antiphon for the Triduum is, We should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, life, and resurrection, through whom we ha- are saved and delivered. And that, that I, that, Timothy, I think, um, I, I really think that very first line should be setting the whole tone for every day of the Triduum. We should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a powerful uh, uh, image as we enter into those holy days that, that we glory in the cross because of what has been won for us. Right. And, and that we, we commemorate, we come to these liturgical celebrations um, in praise and thanksgiving um, of what has been won, that yeah. salvation, that, that darkness has not 
won. It has not triumphed. It has uh, not had the last word. Exactly. And, and we hear that, of course, by the, by the time we get to the vigil. So yeah, this, that, that phrase that we glory in the cross of Christ frames this Paschal celebration ultimately, yeah. that we will... Yeah, I like that frames it. It's the foundation, yeah. right? It's the, it's, uh, we used uh, during the break, it's the lens through which we should be looking at every single one of these days. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 we should glory in the cross of Christ because of what I like you said, like you, I like what you said because of what he won for us. Yeah. Life, life, <clears throat> life eternal, life eternal. That's right. Uh, Holy Thursday marked by a couple of, of other um, uh, u- unique rites. Um, th- there is the tradition of the washing of the feet that follows the, um, uh, the celebration and the proclamation of John's mm-hmm. Last Supper, where Jesus did exactly that, washed the feet of his disciples, and then said, as I have done for you, so you must do for others. Yeah. And, and that symbol um, uh, for so many of us is a powerful witness. This is John's institution narrative, right. if you will. It, this, is his, this, this is his Eucharistic yep. narrative where for him, Eucharist is about serving neighbor, about uh, humbling oneself as Christ did, as the master did, as our teacher did, humbling oneself in order to be food for the other. Yeah. Humbling, humbling yourself because of our baptism, which made us into an image of the ma- of him. Exactly. Right? And so to, to do what he did, to live like he did, um, and to serve others as, as he did. Our thanks to Todd and Tim for that timely conversation. For our final segment today, we return to Catholic Chicago, hosted by Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi. Reflecting on Pope Francis's recent trip to Iraq, we explored the dialogue between the Catholic Church and the Assyrian Church of the East. Here is a highlight of that conversation. I need to ask this of you, uh, uh, Core Bishop Toma, and that is, what should our listeners know about the Christian community in Iraq? Uh, the Christians uh, of Iraq are considered to be one of the oldest uh, continuous Christian communities in the world. And the vast majority of Iraqi Christians are indigenous in Eastern Aramaic-speaking ethnic Assyrians who are the descendants of the inhabitants of the ancient Assyria and follows the Syria Christian tradition. However, some are also known by the name of their religious <laughs> denomination as well as their ethnic identities, such as uh, Chaldean Catholic, uh, Syrian Orthodox uh, Church. Uh, Christians... We have also Armenians and very small minority of Kurdish, uh, Christian, Shabaks, and Iraqi Turkmen. Most presently, Iraqi Christians are ethnically, linguistically, historically, and genetically. They consider themselves uh, distinct themselves from Kurds and Arabs and uh, other nationalities. 
Now, of course, Bishop, your church is in Glenview. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how your congregation began. There's an interesting Catholic connect here. Yes. Uh, we, we In 2001, uh, uh, we started the St. Andrew uh, Mission Parish uh, in Maryville Academy. Uh, uh, I visited uh, the late Father John Smith, and I explained to him he want to start a parish, but we don't, don't have a room. A place, so he said, "Here is the chapel of the Blessed Mary," and he gave me the key. And he said, "All is yours." I said, "What can I I do? Uh, what can I should I pay you something or participate in expenses?" He said, "This altar was built to celebrate masses on. The more masses celebrated on this altar, the better. You are very welcome." Just mm. pray for us. Yeah, that would be John Smith. It sure was. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. Father Smith. And of course, Tom, you knew him well. And yeah. we did that for seven years. So from there, actually, we built ourselves. We built membership. Financially, we grow until we bought uh, the Jewish synagogue in Columbia in 2008. Beautiful. That's, and so, I, I, now, is that, uh, uh, Core Bishop, is that church near Harms Road? or? It's, it's uh, right it, on Milwaukee Avenue. Oh, yeah. the one on Milwaukee oh, Avenue. It. It's oh, round. It's yeah. a round building. A circle round building. Got it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Next, a Milwaukee. next, next, next to, 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 to a nursing home. Which will be our next stop, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to ask uh, Father Tom Bema. Now, I remember... Um, we had created some videos, and there you were, I think, in the Holy Land with Cardinal Bernardine. So you've had an opportunity to work on a lot of international projects as a priest. Um, what do you think our listeners need to know about Pope Francis to help them appreciate his efforts in the Middle East? Well, thank, that's a great question. Thanks, uh, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I, when... Uh, Father Greg and I left seminary. I, I expected, uh, you know, that I would spend most of my priesthood working in Chicago parishes because that's why you become a diocesan priest. Right. But uh, uh, very early on, my interest in Eastern Christianity um, caused the diocese to ask me to do ecumenical work, which had, you know, had not really been my interest. My interest was the academic side of uh, Eastern uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you go where the Church asks you to go. And uh, that ended up being kind of all over the place. And um, uh, the, uh, I was with a, a bunch of retired priests uh, at one point at uh, St. Joseph College Seminary for some party or something. And, I, you know, it, you, you always introduce yourself uh, when you're in a, a group of priests because we have so many, they don't immediately know everybody's name. You know, so it's a, you know, I, I, I said my name, and the guy goes, oh, you're that international guy. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that's kind of what, what uh, my, uh, the last 40 years have turned into. Now, um, when we went to the Middle East in 1995 with Cardinal Bernadine, it was a very different situation. The peace process was at its height. Mm-hmm. There was a great deal of optimism. And, uh, you know, people really thought that, you know, we were just on the cusp of everything kind of settling down. Of course we know that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, when you, you ask me about what 
Pope Francis brings to this. I, I think there is a unique contribution that our current uh, uh, Pope is making, and a, a lot of it originates in the fact that he is a bishop from the global south. Okay, he's uh, although he has Italian an- ancestry, uh, he is every inch a Latin American mm-hmm. and a Latin American bishop. Um, what that means, first and foremost is that he comes from a post-colonial experience. Now, say more now, about that, Tom. Yeah, you can't understand the Middle East, uh, and really mo- most uh, of the world, if you don't understand that the, the Europeans basically created the nation-states that are there right now by drawing lines on a map. And the way you can tell that the Europeans, and particularly the British, were involved is they drew borders down rivers. Oh, now, okay. anybody that studies... You know, religious geography knows that rivers are not borders, they're superhighways. They run through the middle of a community, they don't divide it. Mm-hmm. Okay? But that's not the way the, Brit- the British drew boundaries. So the map itself is artificial. Uh, and the, the very idea of a nation-state isn't really part of the culture. It, it, there, there's no notion of that in Islamic history, for example. You know, so... The colonial situation, in many ways, sets up, you know, what we're dealing with today. Now, Pope Francis, when he enters into this milieu, he doesn't enter it, you know, as somebody coming out of that context. What he brings to the dialogue is what I would call a relational approach. Um, You hear him talk quite a lot about fraternity, and then, you know, people in the English-speaking world get crazy because it's a masculine word and they, you know, want to find a way that doesn't do that, thereby missing the whole point, which is what he's saying is relationships are the currency of dialogue. You That's can't have dialogue, line. you can't have dialogue if you don't have a relationship. Um, Mark, Mark, you will remember Cardinal George going on and on at various times. If you get the relationships right, everything else will fall in place. Right. It's true. Well, yeah, that's what, what Core Bishop Toma just told us about uh, his experience at Maryville, is they took the relationship as primary. You know, mm-hmm. And then look what happened you know, as a result of that. Now, there's another insight that Pope Francis has that kind of startled people in you know, professional ecumenical work. Is very early in his pontificate, he started talking about a different kind of ecumenism. Uh, you know, we talk about the ecumenism of theological dialogue, the ecumenism of common service, the ecumenism of spirituality, and that he introduced a fourth. He spoke of the ecumenism of blood, by which he meant the suffering and the martyrdom that is occurring in these ancient Christian areas. Wow. Uh, that shocked a lot of people, but I think, I, I think again, you can't understand the, uh, what he's trying to do if you don't first recognize that he's a bishop of the global south, he understands post-colonialism, and he also has this relational approach. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass Online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., 
and Pole Vision for televising our Polish language mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. A blessed Palm Sunday to you. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.